Are you ready for some more XFL? Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our eighth podcast. With the XFL draft in the rearview mirror, the XFL has turned to new business by releasing an impressive schedule. They're also preparing to reveal team uniforms and getting ready for a supplemental draft, which is rumored to be taking place just prior to training camps that will begin in December. In this podcast, we will introduce two guests, Seattle Dragons draft pick Anthony Johnson and XFLboard.com Dallas Renegades team reporter Anthony Miller. Anthony Johnson, a stellar defensive lineman for the Florida International University Panthers, completed his senior year in 2018. Last summer, he attended an XFL summer showcase, which led to him being invited to the draft and eventually being picked by the Seattle Dragons. We will talk to Anthony about his football career, his future with the XFL, and his desire to help at-risk kids in the community. Then we will talk to Anthony Miller. He will provide insight into the XFL schedule, the draft, and what to expect between now and the kickoff of the XFL season. I call this podcast Two Anthonys. No, it's not an homage to the Sopranos. It's about a talented player who is preparing to begin a pro football career and about a football league that is preparing to begin its first season. XFL kickoff is only 104 days away. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Anthony Johnson to the podcast. Anthony was a stellar defensive lineman for the Florida International University Panthers, completing his senior year in 2018. Last summer... He attended a Tampa Bay Buccaneers minicamp, but it wasn't until he attended the summer showcase in Tampa that he turned his eyes towards the XFL. Now he has been drafted into the Seattle Dragons. Welcome, Anthony. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm blessed for this opportunity. Excellent. Now, I I read that you're from Kingsland, Georgia, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you, you grew up and you went to high school. You played football in high school there? Yes, I played at uh, Campbell County High School. And you played football from a young age, didn't you? Yeah, I started playing football when I was about four or five. That's that's about as young as you can uh, start playing football, isn't it? You can't even start younger than that, can you? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it was something that I was interested in, and it was something that um, my parents wanted to get me in at an early age, so they signed me up as, as, as soon as possible. So your mom and dad uh, signed you up into football then? Uh, well... If 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 you ask them, they did. If you ask my grandmother, it was her idea, and she was the one that signed me up. Um, <laughs> I was young; I was too young to know who actually signed me up. So uh, I just run with it. You know, whoever I'm talking to at the time, if, if it was my parents or if it was my grandmother. So, so when you were when you were four or five, what position did you play? Uh, man, I was actually a safety, right, and a receiver, right. That's where you started, and then. Um, you know, growing up, uh, as as the years went on, I started a little bit bigger. But I did continue to play safety some here and there. Uh, but uh, as I grew old, I was um, I kind of transitioned to the defensive end, uh, tight end position. Because you grew big. Definitely, yes. <laughs> yeah, and the coaches put you on the on the defensive line. Right. <laughs> so, uh, growing up, did you have uh, any any players that you saw as a role model? Yeah, um, growing up, uh, Trent Cole was a guy that I used to watch a lot. Trent Cole and uh, Dwight Freeney. Um, those are guys who I kind of, 
you know, looked up to and who I kind of wanted to try and bottle my game after. You, uh, from high school, Camden County High School, you played, and then uh, when you came time, you old enough to go to college, you went to, you decided to go to the FIU Panthers, and how did you come by that decision? Um, at the time, it was actually the defensive line coach who recruited, uh, who, who recruited me, um, Coach Andre Patterson. He, uh, um, you know, and I tell a lot of people this all the time, and you can ask any of the cats that were in my recruiting class um, that was recruited by him. That man can sell you a rock, I promise. Um, you know, he was just so consistent, and, you know, he showed he showed the most interest in me and in, in what a couple other schools did. And, um, you know, I kind of just ran with it, and I believed in what he was telling me. So with the Panthers, uh, in your junior year, you started to run up some stats. Uh, you appeared in 11 games, and you recorded 39 tackles. And then in your senior year in 2018, you appeared, th- you appeared in 13 games, and you recorded 40 tackles and 6.5 tackles for a loss. I'm just going through your stats here. Uh, so you had some stellar seasons in your junior and senior year. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I really didn't get um, the opportunity to play much um, until Coach uh, Butch Davis came in um, and he sat me down and he told me, you know, everybody has a fresh start with me. And, um, you know, he just gave me that opportunity. Uh, when he came in, I was, I got moved up to a second string defensive tackle. And, um, you know, I kind of just ran with it and I won the position out to be a starter right before the season started. Um, and, you know, I kind of never looked back after that. I just, took it and you know i counted my blessings and, and, I, and i'm just thankful an opportunity and good coaching and 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 you excelled yes sir you're a pass rusher at heart is that right <laughs> yes sir definitely that's that's your love right uh, of course it is <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm sure fans would just love to see you doing that uh, for, for this for, for seattle there's nothing more exciting than that so when you graduated, you uh, were invited to a rookie mini camp with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And what was that like? I mean, it was a great experience. Um, you know, I can't thank Coach Todd Bowles enough for, uh, you know, giving me that opportunity. Uh, it was a good experience. Um, I had a great time, you know, out there with those guys. Um, you know, they were kind of familiar with me. The the defensive coordinator actually coached with Coach Davis out in uh, Cleveland when Coach Davis was the head coach of the Browns. But uh, but it was a great experience and all. So there was good coaching there, and uh, and you learned a lot. Oh yes, sir, definitely. You know, just my short time there being with them, you know, I learned the ins and outs um, a lot actually, and you know what to expect from being in the NFL and just playing professional ball. So professional football is quite different than college ball. Uh, well, yes, it is. You know, when you have when you're in college, you have you know football, you have school. You got tutoring, you got all these other little things, and then, you know, obviously professional ball is your job. So all you do is eat, sleep, and breathe football, which is something that I, I love. So, you know, I, I didn't mind it at all. I, I adapt pretty quick. Um, I adapt to the playbook pretty quick. Um, but, you know, adapting to that playbook came from me having four defensive coordinators while I was at FIU. Um, and each of those four defensive coordinators had different playbooks. So um, it was kind of... I want to say a familiar setting to me, but it was kind of just easy to adapt to that. You have to adapt, and so you have to stay on your toes and uh, and be ready to learn and and new new playbooks and be ready for all for that type of thing. Yes, sir, definitely. After the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers experience, uh, you got the opportunity to go to the XFL Showcase in Tampa Bay. 
Now, how did that come about? Actually, I can't. I can't really tell you how it came about. All I know, um, you know, after the rookie mini camp uh, with Tampa Bay, me and my agent were talking, um, and you know, he was like, "Look, uh, contract obviously didn't come out of it." So we were actually looking into the Canadian League. We were looking into Arena League, and um, he said, "Well, I actually said to him." So I had been doing a little research on the XFL, and I um, had heard talks about it. And I asked him, I was like, you know, what do you think about giving this XFL thing a shot? And um, he was like, you know, any opportunity is a great opportunity. And, and I couldn't agree more with him. So, um, you know, we we found ways to try and get in contact with those uh, with those guys up there, and that we did. And, um, you know, we found out that you just had to submit an application. Next, you know, a couple of weeks later, I got my invite to the Tampa Showcase. So you showed up at the showcase, you ran the drills, and was there anyone there that you recognized, maybe some coaches or something? I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I, there was a couple guys I played against that were out there. There was a couple guys I played with that were out there. Um, so, you know, I was just excited to be out there. I was happy to be out there. So after the showcase, then you waited, waited, and then you were put on the draft list, and then eventually you were given a call that you were drafted, right? Yes, sir. So Seattle called you. Uh, you were drafted in the open draft round in the actually in the nineteenth round of the open draft by Seattle Dragons. Yes, thirteenth uh, round. Thirteenth round. I apologize. Yes, so you were you were drafted in the thirteenth round of the open draft by the Seattle Dragons. Yes, sir. Where were you when you heard you were drafted? I was actually. It was crazy because I was throughout the whole day. Um, once that uh, fifth, uh, the fourth phase that ended with the corners and uh, safeties and all that, I was waiting for a little while, and I was just getting too impatient. So I actually went and uh, washed my car. I went to the car wash. Yeah. And I was um, vacuuming out my car just, you know, just to kill some time and just to get my mind off of things. And as soon as I got done vacuuming out my car, I sat down in my car, and I turned my car on, and then I finally got a phone call. And the phone rang. Yes, sir. And it was a very good call. Yes, it was. <laughs> well, congratulations, I'm sure. Thank you, I uh, appreciate it. I'm sure it's nervous for you waiting for a call like that. I'm sure that's just a nervous experience. Yeah, there was a lot of anxiety. You know, there was just a lot of, you know, am I going to actually get this call? Like, you know, if, yeah. is is this opportunity going to be presented to me? And I'm just blessed that it was. Yeah, so what, what excites you about the XFL? I think what excites me the most is that it's a new league. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say brand new league because uh, obviously they were back in the early 2000s, but... You know, just being, you know, one of those, being able to say that I was one of those seven stones to help get this league started, um, you know, is, is, is pretty cool. Um, I'm excited to see where this league goes and where this league actually takes me. There are two training camps coming up. So a mini camp in December and a combined training camp in January. Are you excited about this? Yeah, I am actually. Um, you know, with the combined training camp in uh, January, um, it actually brings me back a little bit to my high school days. Uh, we had this thing what we called uh, wing T camp and defensive uh, and uh, defensive camp, and it was um, all the top schools in the state of Georgia would go up to the University of West Georgia for about a week um, and just uh, scrimmage each other and practice against each other. We would also do individual drills with each other and things like that. So uh, that was always pretty cool to me. So I'm pretty excited about the training camp thing. And, you know, just being around all the other teams, being around some of the guys that I know on those teams, um, and just getting after it. Yeah, there'll be some friendly faces there, I'm sure. Yes, definitely. So I've read online that you're big into community service. Yes, sir, I am. Can you tell me more about that? Or? Well, my, my time at FIU, I put in over um, 
400 hours of community service. Um, I've visited children's hospitals over 35 times. You know, I've just done multiple things just because I feel like, you know, where I came from, and even back at home now, I'm still giving back to my community, doing just little things that I can try to do. Um, you know, I go and talk with kids up at our local middle school, at our local elementary schools, um, and just try to be that mentor for a lot of these uh, kids. Um, you know, me growing up, I didn't have too much of that. And I can see the way that, you know, that can impact a child's life. You know, even if I'm talking to 50 kids and I only reach out to one kid, you know, it's still going to be worth it to me at the end of the day. Um, and I just feel like, you know, these kids should have that opportunity and should have that role model, you know, to be able to push them and support them. Um, because a lot of the kids that I work with are at-risk children and um, don't really have that father figure at home. You know, mom is always working on, you know, different things like that. So I just feel like giving back, you know, it just... Just being able to see the smile on kids' faces just makes my day, honestly. So um, I'm actually in works right now to try to get my charity up uh, up and started. It's going to be called the Gut Foundation. And um, what I'm going to focus on is, you know, feeding uh, at-risk kids and just giving back to those kids. Try try and get some after-school programs started for uh, a lot of these kids here in Camden County. And not only in Camden County, but when I get out to Seattle as well. So at-risk kids. Yes. Well, there's nothing more needy than that, especially in today's society. Uh, I commend you for that. Now, your charity is named after your nickname, The Gut. Yeah, yes, sir. And your Twitter handle is The Gut 91. Of course, of course. Of course, yes, if, any, if anyone's looking for you on Twitter, that's where they can find you, at yes, The sir. Gut 91. So what is The Gut? The Gut uh, came about, uh, about midway through my junior season. Um, like I said, when Coach Davis came in, at the time I was playing defensive end, and uh, we were short defensive tackles so I knew that I had to put on some weight um, and I knew that was my only opportunity uh, to get on the field so I had put on about 25 pounds um, I went from about 270 to uh, 295 yeah uh, just that summer and um you know I you know managed to grow a gut and um you know it just came about one day uh my boy Chris Miller was telling me uh he was one of, he, at the time, he was our starting right guard. He was like, man, you got to feed that gut tonight. You got to feed that gut tonight. And so, I mean, it kind of just stuck with me. So he gave you the nickname, The Gut? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, that's what friends are for, right? Right. <laughs> and you still go with that, so that's good. Well, well Anthony, uh, I would like to wish you all the best in the upcoming training camps, and I'd like to say that we can't wait to see you on the field for the Seattle Dragons next February. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. Once again, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm excited to get started and see where this week goes. Well, we're excited to see you. Thank you. I'd like to welcome Anthony Miller to the podcast. Anthony is a football fan and one of our XFL board team reporters for the Dallas Renegades. Anthony's a former morning sports anchor in Amarillo, Texas, and a former TV news reporter in Wichita Falls, Texas, and in Sherman, Texas. Anthony has a passion for all things sports. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. Appreciate it. Happy to be on the show. So how did, how did you follow the draft? So it was a little more difficult for me since I had to, to be at work all day. But basically how I did it was I had it on my computer. So I was kind of listening to it, um, you know, over my headset while also tracking on the uh, 
on Twitter and checking on the picks and going on XFL.com and tracking it there as well. So I was able to find ways to kind of remove myself while I was in work and kind of multitask and use uh, different avenues to kind of check out the picks. Now, once once the XFL started revealing their information, they went into high gear. Like they revealed the quarterbacks and went right away into the first round. Did you like how they did that? I did. I, I think I, I knew that, you know, they had made the announcement that they were going to announce the quarterbacks prior to it, which I think in in part is probably the most important part of the XFL as uh, they've been mentioning that, you know, quarterbacks are going to be the thing that's going to build this league from, you know, their experience with how the alliance was, was that they put a lot of emphasis on quarterbacks as well. So getting that initial announcement on who the tier one quarterbacks were going to be, you knew that was going to add some excitement to the draft day. So I thought they handled that perfectly and everything they did with the draft itself on how they announced their picks and posting it online and putting it on Twitter. I thought everything that the the XFL did for those, for those two days were handled to perfection. It was a lot of fun to keep track of it. And there was a lot of suspense on who was going to get picked and who wasn't. Yeah, it was, it was exciting. And, and, and they really kicked into high gear. I was interested in how they went from zero to 60 when it came to social media that day on the first day of the draft. And what, what do you think of that? See, now they're, they've got an increased social media activity. And so how does that, how do you think of that? I love it. And, you know, I think it really the tone was set with that with the individual teams. The one team that I think about that I think probably has done the best job when it comes down to having a social media presence is know that the D.C. Defenders. I feel like anytime anyone even tweets about them or hashtags them, they're always on top of it, answering them within minutes. So I I think each of those each of the teams really set the tone for how it should be like the D.C. Defenders and Seattle Dragons, whoever runs their social media, those people have just done a phenomenal job of interacting with fans because that that was a message for Vince McMahon when he first made the announcement about the XFL a couple years ago is how important fan feedback is. So that's why it was imperative that they have a a great social media presence because you don't really see that with other professional leagues like the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball and NHL. You, You don't really see that much no, as much social media presence with interacting with fans as you're seeing with the XFL. So they know the fan experience is the most important part of this league. And I think that's got people really excited knowing that, hey, this professional league is actually listening to what I'm saying and actually wanting to have a conversation with me. I'm willing to keep following along and seeing uh, what more they have in store. Now, lately, we've been hearing some reports that drafted players are pulling out due to reported low wages. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say drafted players because there's one player in particular, Corey Vereen, that we've heard that him and his agent or his through his agent, he's going to pull out of his uh, offer to play in the XFL. What does this all mean to the XFL? I don't know if it's going to affect them in a positive way or a negative way. Look, I I think we have to be honest to know that some players are probably going to look at this opportunity and maybe they won't see the XFL as the right direction to go. It it doesn't surprise me that there's going to be players like Corey Vernon, and I'm sure there'll be others in the next month or two that's going to decide, well, maybe the XFL is not best for me and I, you know, move on with a different direction in their lives. I don't see it as a negative thing because it just opens the door for other players who are, you know, I see it on Twitter every day. There's a lot of football players out there that are just, you know, they're asking the XFL for just the opportunity. So there's always hungry players out there that are ready to play right now. And there are some that are not. And that and that's OK. The XFL will find its stars. That's what I know. That's what we all want as fans is the XFL to not only have some big names out there, but 
also have some younger players who are ready to stand out and be stars in the league. We saw we saw so many in the alliance just pop out of nowhere and become big time stars. And I think that we're going to see that in the XFL as well. And I think that's what we really want in the end. So, uh, you know, you know, happy for Corey that he made the decision that he did. You know, you got to respect his decision. But you also got to understand at the same time, him leaving is not the worst thing in the world. There's always going to be players out there. There's plenty that weren't drafted that I think would love the chance to just step into the XFL and play. Yeah, there's hundreds that were not drafted. They were on the draft list. Now, but of course, uh, we know that there's lots of players in the pool. And uh, it makes sense that should the XFL not be worried about the NFL taking their players? Because we've heard that the NFL has signed a few of the drafted players already to NFL rosters. Yeah, I think the XFL should take it as a compliment, really. I, I think it's the, the NFL maybe sees these players that are getting drafted in the XFL. They're like, oh, wait, I forgot this guy was around. Maybe he can make an impact on my team, whether that be on the practice squad or on the active roster. So I know there's a few that were on the Battle Hawks that already got signed off to NFL teams. And, you know, I that's also going to be expected. Players are probably going to jump at the chance of the at the NFL instead of the XFL. But, again, it's not a negative for the XFL. They should take it as a compliment because they're taking, you know, the, the NFL realizes there's still good players out there. They're going ahead and sign them. But the XFL knows that there's other players out there that are super hungry and they're ready to go. And they're ready to play. So they're just going to go ahead and maybe include them in the supplemental draft and, you know, give them a chance to make a roster spot and make a name of themselves on, you know, national television. Yeah, the supplemental draft is coming up. How do you think that will play out? Like, who will, who do you think will be in the draft pool? It will be interesting. I, I, I'm sure they'll include a lot of the ones that were in the XFL draft initially, but I'm sure they'll be looking at, could they find another Kenny Robinson, you know, who was in college and maybe wants to make that jump. Maybe there's still some recruiting that all we're looking as team want to do prior to that supplemental draft. So they could be looking there. I'm sure the NFL, there's always cuts made and all that, um, you know, good jazz. So I'm, I'm sure they're going to look at whoever is cut in the next month and maybe invite them, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of reoccurring ones. I know there's been, there's one player in particular I think about, I thought about was a uh, Carter Schultz who was phenomenal in the Alliance. He's been a big one that I see it all over social media that people are just like, how did he, how did he not get invited to the XFL job? They may give guys like that an opportunity that maybe the XFL forgot about. So I'm sure there'll be some mixing with new players, but I'm sure they'll bring a lot of those that weren't drafted the first time around back for this. The date of the supplemental draft is not yet known, but how important is this timing? I I, I think it's the importance of it. I I think it's pretty important. I mean, when you think about uh, the NFL is, I know they're thinking about putting it, having the supplemental draft around November, which is good timing because I think you're getting towards the end of the NFL season and I'm sure NFL rosters at that point will kind of be, you know, they'll solidify who they want on their team. They'll be past the trade deadline. So there probably won't be as many roster moves. So the XFL may have a better idea on who um, will be ready to go to join their respective XFL teams for camps in December and, you know, all that good stuff. So, I, I think the timing in November is kind of perfect because the NFL will probably be done with roster moves and the XFL can, you know, get their players ready to go because they got, you know, the camps coming up in December for their practices. So they need to get those players in there so they can get two months of reps before the XFL season starts. 
the timing needs to take advantage of NFL cuts or NFL final roster changes and uh, have some of those players in the pool. That makes sense. And, of course, the XFL has their first mini training camp starting in the first week of December. So they need to do the supplemental draft before that as well. Yeah, and I think the importance – that's why it's so important that everything is scheduled the way it is, like the supplemental draft and when they're going to start doing the practice in December. Because when the XFL first started, those players only really had one month of practice before jumping into games. And that's where maybe those first few weeks where the performances of the players weren't as good for the XFL in those first few weeks. So I think they learned from their lesson that they need more time to learn their you know playbooks and get some continuity with the team and get familiar with each other. So that's why they need to have the supplemental draft next month and then have those two months in December and January for those players to practice before the season starts in February. It'll be interesting to see how, how this XFL does in comparison to the previous XFL, in, uh, in especially in how with the timing they have this time around, or they, they'll be able to build better teams or have uh, more uh, better prepared teams when they hit the field in February. Now, the schedule was released last week, and that was the big excitement last week. Now, what do you think of that schedule? I love it. I love how they did it. I love how they announced it. Uh, I, you know, I love the fact that each of the teams kind of announced the way they did on Twitter and Facebook and did a little 30-second video of showing it. I, I really enjoyed how they set up the schedule. You know, I love that, you know, you're going to be able to see games on Saturdays and Sundays. Also, being on national television is also going to be major for them for being on ABC and Fox and ESPN. But I especially the, the probably the thing I love the most is the last two weeks of the year, how they're having their games on Thursdays, because I, I think you can kind of see with the NFL now that, you know, they're they've, they're getting some, you know, while there's been some complaints about the performances of the play on Thursdays, I think there is, I think they're able to grab in a ton of people and a ton of viewers to watch those games on Thursdays. So they got to make sure that those Thursday games are going to be, you know, the, the big critical games that may affect the playoff hunt uh, when the se- when it gets, when they're getting towards the end of the season. So I love how they set it up. I think the XFL did a, did a knockup job with it. Yeah. So with those Thursday night games, uh, later in the season, uh, is that a little bit of a test, maybe? I think so, and I, I, I'm saying this from the standpoint of being a reporter for the Dallas Renegades, but both of those games would include the Dallas Renegades team in there for those last two weeks. So that's why, you know, in my preview on this, or, you know, my recap on the schedule, I felt like it's going to be a huge challenge for, uh, especially for Dallas and Houston that first time, that they're meeting up, and that's going to be, you know, week nine on, you know, Thursday, April 2nd. I, it's going to be a major challenge for those teams because, you know, those players are not used to playing on a short week when the NFL, those players have been accustomed to it over the last few years. So I think we're going to really see, you know, how coaches prepare on a short week when they really have only three, four days to get ready for that game. So I think we're, those that's going to be the true test of figuring out how good a team is when they only have a few days to uh, get ready. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. Now, the first game in the schedule will be Seattle at D.C. at 2 p.m. on ABC. Is this what we expected for an opening game? I think so. I, I think there's nothing wrong with it. I think they know that um, – I, I mean, the thing I think about is Cardell Jones, who is the quarterback for the D.C. Yeah. defenders. He's probably one of the bigger names 
that's in this, uh, in, you know, in this league. So I think it's a good way to start out, have people kind of familiar with who Cardell Jones is and throw that team in there. Plus, people know who Jim Zorn is, and he was a former head coach for the Washington Redskins. So it kind of makes up for a you know, perfect first game. We've already got those uh, storylines tied into that game the way it is. Those are those are both good points. And uh, you mentioned earlier about the D.C. defenders doing a lot with social media. They sure are shopping Cardell Jones around on social media in the last week or so. Oh, I loved it when he made that appearance on WWE and, you know, right. they were able to showcase him. I mean, he's one of the bigger names. It's, it's hard not to, to, you know, publicize him. And, you know, Dallas Renegades have done the same thing with Landry Jones. I know Landry Jones just did an interview a few days ago on one of the local house stations here, 105.3 The Fan, because you know, those are probably two of the bigger names in this league that people know. And they're going to they they should be flaunting them in front of everyone because those are really good players that they got to join the league. Yeah, I hope I hope it pays off for the XFL. I think they're really trying to shop their quarterbacks around. I hope it pays off. Now, the league seems to have ignored this thought that typical Northeast weather would cause problems for games. But they did schedule a New York and a Washington, D.C. home game in the first week of the of the of the schedule. Why do you think they didn't get hung up by this thought that they should schedule the first few weeks in warmer climates? My thinking on that is I, I think if they're trying to appeal to older fans, I, I just think about how older fans typically get a little bit tired of the thought that teams want to play inside in the dome in warm weather and not be outside in 30, 40 degree weather when it's snowing. So I, I actually kind of like the, the fact that they're going to start putting their, you know, they start out the year like in D.C. and in New York, which are probably two of the coldest places that they're going to play in the XFL. Because you may have the option to, if it does snow, then that's going to, I think that's going to attract fans. I think I'm, you talk about some of the biggest games in NFL history that were played in those cold uh, snow, you know, snow games, you know, the big one, probably the Ice Bowl with the Packers and Cowboys. People remember that because that game was, you know, below freezing. It was snowing and people were, you know, they were trying to stay warm, but that made for a classic game. So th that's a good way to kind of set the tone just in case they get that cold, snowy weather that it might attract fans. You know, it may be cold outside, but for those that are going to be watching on TV, it would make them for some exciting football. So a snow bowl or an ice bowl to kick off the XFL might make things a little more exciting, I guess. Yeah. Now, you've been up and down the schedule. Now, what are a couple of the more intriguing matchups you see that, that appeared, and, and why do you think that it'll be intriguing to watch? Yeah, uh, I guess just speaking from the Renegade standpoint, uh, probably the biggest game of the year for them is probably, it, it's not going to be the final week of the year, but it's actually going to be the week before in that Houston game. I think we talked about, you know, that Thursday game being a short week for them and getting prepared. But I got a feeling that they're, the two of them, those two teams are really going to build up below, you know, the, the rivalry that's within the state. So th those are that's a game that the Renegades have to win because I, I think we're all figuring that the Renegades have probably one of the better rosters and are expected to, you know, either win the West or at least make the playoffs. So that week nine game is going to be absolutely critical for them to get the job done to, you know, win and maybe get themselves into the playoffs. But I also feel like at the same time, the, the other big one is going to be the D.C. defenders and the New York Guardians. I mean, the, when they play each other twice in the year, 
and they also play each other that week nine, that's going to be huge for both teams because th- those are two other teams that are probably going to be expected to be um, high up on the, the East standings, and they're going to probably have to battle it out for a playoff spot. So those are those are the two big games that are going to make an, an, an impact on the, the season towards the end. There's there's a lot of matchups there that I like, but those are two of the ones that I, that I noticed that were something that I'm thinking that's going to be good. Now, there's a lot of people out there, as you and I both know, that are not following the XFL like because they're they're probably still following the, the NFL or their favorite NFL team. Now, my thought when I saw the schedule was when people who have not been following this league see the slate of networks that are broadcasting XFL games, I think they'll be impressed. Yeah, I think not only that, but they're going to have to sell them on at least in the initial part of before the season starts, the way to attract fans, it's going to be one, making sure you got them on the right networks, which we know ESPN's the worldwide leader in sports. So they got that covered there with sports Uh, being on ABC is great. Also Fox has really established themselves as one of the leaders in sports as well. So having them on Fox and Fox sports one, that's going to be huge. But I think another thing is they're going to have to sell on the players as well. Um, you know, th- that's going to be the great thing about the networks. I mean, Fox has already taken advantage of it. We talked about it. Cardell Jones was on the WWE. So they're already getting them kind of acquainted with some of those XFL players. So being on networks and then having those big name players, that's how you're going to sell the league uh, before it initially starts. And then once the year starts, then I feel like the XFL will be able to sell themselves with uh, hopefully the performances on the field between the players and the coaches and the networks they're on. And you know what? Another thing that came to my mind was that they're broadcasting XFL on on networks that are already broadcasting NFL. And when the NFL season progresses and gets closer to the Super Bowl, I expect to see some advertisements for the XFL on those games. And I think that will be a, a watershed moment for the XFL and for fans that have been not paying attention up to now. Yeah, I also I think a big thing, too, is them announcing the broadcasting teams, because I think that's going to have a big impact as well to add credibility to the league. I mean, right. we've already we've already heard from Fox that it's going to be Kurt Menefee and Joe Clatt. Joe Clatt is one of the most respected names in college football, and he's done a terrific job. Him and Gus Johnson are usually the A team for that Fox team on uh, Saturdays for college football. And Kurt Menefee has had a great reputation of calling you know, before he was the host for the pregame show on Fox, he did a great job calling play-by-play games. So those are two really big names that Fox needed to come out with. And then I know ESPN's already got Steve Levy, who's an ESPN legend. I mean, he's been there still for decades. So he's already a big name. And then I know that Pat McAfee and Dan Orgowski also were announced. You know, Dan is one of the probably more, you know, one of the rising stars of TV. He might have not been as great in the NFL, but He's really done a great job being on Get Up and um, really establishing himself as a, a credible analyst. And then Pat McAfee is probably one of the greatest characters you can have on television, the way he does his podcasts. And I know I think he's going to be doing work with the WWE as well. So his personality really adds a lot of spark to the league as well. So those broadcasting teams, I think, have made a major impact on people being like, hey, I might be able to I might want to watch you know, the XFL when it comes out. The other thing that comes to mind is, besides the broadcasting teams and how important that is, the fact that normally the weekend after Super Bowl, there's no more football. But not this year. This is a big opportunity for the XFL. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the alliance. They took advantage of it after the the Super Bowl. I mean, look at those ratings that they had that first week that they were playing. I think they had, what, one, two million people watching. And it was one of the highest rated shows that night, which was, uh, I think it was San, the Commanders and the Fleet played that night. And their ratings actually beat out the Thunder and the Rockets that were playing that same night. And that game went into overtime. So that I think that's right. a testament of people being really excited about spring football and the idea that, hey, I don't have to go you know, months without watching football. I can just watch it right after the Super Bowl ends. Yeah, because there's normally a withdrawal period for football fans after the yeah. Super Bowl ends. And you sit there looking at the, a, a blank TV the next weekend and say, I don't know what's missing. Uh, not this time. You know, the original XFL had great ratings in the first uh, week as well. But, there, of course, the ratings dropped week by week. That's historical knowledge now, and I'm sure the current XFL is aware of that, and I'm sure they're thinking about ways to keep their ratings up past the first week. Yeah, and I think also what was what helped them at the beginning that first time, that first round with the XFL, the marketing was just fantastic. You know, between Vince McMahon and Dick Embersol, they did such a great job of marketing it. And, you know, you people have their opinions on Vince McMahon, but he probably is one of the, he's one of the best marketers in sports entertainment yeah he is there's no doubt about it and uh i'm still waiting to see what's going to happen that first week of the xfl and if whether he shows up on camera and whether he goes out on the field and says this is the xfl like he did before uh i I think think that would be i think he has to do it don't you think like i I just feel like they would just be the perfect way to start i mean yeah i I think that's what fans are expecting that's all he has to do that's it. Yep. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then watch the game. You know, that's all he has to do. I think it would be cool. Now, we have heard that the team jerseys will be available for sale to fans in November. Now, does this mean that the uniform reveal is right around the corner? I think so. I mean, I would not be surprised if they decided to wait on revealing the jerseys until November and then putting them on sale the next day or, you know, the same day that when they reveal it. I mean, that's not going to be a surprise to me. That seems to be the trend that they've done. They always will make the announcement prior, like a day or two prior that, hey, we're going to make an announcement on, you know, Jersey. So it it wouldn't surprise me at all if they did it that way. And I I think that's going to be, that's really the last piece that's really missing from the season. But besides football actually being played is, you know, what are the jerseys going to look like? Yeah, and I think that's what fan fans are actually waiting for that moment too. And I think there's a whole lot of fans that are sitting there with their their money and their credit cards ready to go to buy a jersey, to buy a team jersey. There's no doubt in my mind. And you know that's what happened with the previous XFL when they made the jerseys available. The sales of those jerseys was was very high. Yeah, and I think plus the XFL's done a really job, really good job of making all their you know, merchandise at an affordable price for fans that they're not overpaying like it would be for other major leagues. So I, I think when the jerseys come out, I'm sure they're going to be affordable enough that fans are going to be just just jumping at the chance of buying it right then and there. So do you think that we'll see the whole package then, uh, uniforms, jerseys, pants, helmets, the whole thing? I think they have to. Uh, I, I think, you know, we, we are running short of t- on time before the season starts. So right. I, I think it would make sense just to do everything at once and just do a huge reveal. I think they should have at least one one big star on each team come out in the jerseys and the helmets so then people can see what it's going to look like on game day. I fully expect them to kind of model it that way. So with the, with their contract quarterbacks probably then? 
Yeah, probably. You'll probably see Cardell Jones and Landry Jones. At least that's how I would like to see it. I don't know what they're planning on doing when it comes to terms with that, but I feel like that'd be the best way. You, you might as well market your best players right away and have fans get used to the idea of them being in their u- new uniforms. Well, that will be exciting. Who do you think will manufacture the uniforms? Do you have any guesses? Yeah, I've been I've been trying to think of some names that would probably do it. Um, yeah, I was trying to remember who was – I'm trying to remember who did the Alliance ones. But, uh, I, I mean, the ones that I can think of at the top of my head, maybe Adidas might be able to jump in on it. I don't know if Under Armour is going to want to jump on it. I mean, those are two names that have – uh, I know for Under Armour, especially over the years, they've really done a, a good job of getting themselves into sports more and more and not just being about, you know, having the undershirts or the, you know, the shorts for workouts. But they've been trying to, you know, manufacture their own jerseys. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of those two is in the running. But that will be kind of the interesting one because that's that's a huge mystery on who, you know, is going to be the ones that are you know going to manufacture the jerseys and the, the equipment. Yeah, how come we don't know that? How come we haven't heard those rumors? Does the XFL actually have a vault right now with their information? Because nothing is leaking out. Yeah, it's that. that's kind of the interesting. But, you know, the XFL has also done a really good job of keeping secrets and keeping things on the, the quiet end when it comes down to releasing news. I mean, we've rarely seen um, XFL news really be leaked out too far ahead of the of before it gets, you know, the information comes out. So, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they already have somebody in place already and already have the, the jerseys and all that made and ready to go. It's just a matter of telling all their employees basically just to keep secrets, which they've done a really good job of. Well, I have to admit there is uh, a Twitter user that has a photo of a sketch of the Battlehawks uniform uh, yeah. that was posted um, in the last 24 hours. I'm not sure. Where. But when I see something like that, I see it and I say, well, that's interesting. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not really a uh, a rumor. It's only a rumor to me. It's and and with the amount of fake stuff that's been coming out about the XFL, I just kind of look at it and go, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it does make for an interesting topic of discussion when people are talking about it on social media and speculating on whether that happens. So, I mean, you know, it's good to have kind of those rumors out there sometimes, just as long as it it comes out to just be just a rumor. Which, when that does, that that gets XFL, XFL fans really coming together and starting to speculate. So as long as it's just a rumor, then it's all in good fun. Yeah, rumors are rumors are fun. Yeah. Um, you have to be careful with rumors, as as some people have found out. Uh, so yeah, I always look at them with a jaded eye and going, yeah, I'm not so sure. But it's yeah. fun. It's fun to look at it. Now the XFL ball, the league revealed their ball candidates when the summer showcases were were, were going on. So they must be almost ready to reveal the official XFL ball. Yeah, I'm sure they've already made that as well. So I, I think that, that I don't now the question is, will it come out at the same time as they release the helmet and the jerseys? I don't know, but I, I'm sure they have everything already set in stone. And if they don't, then they probably need to be getting on it, to be honest, because they're three months away from the season starting. But, you know, Overlook seems to be on top of everything. So I'm sure they already have something in place. It's just a matter of timing now and wanting to reveal it. Because I'm sure when camp starts in December, we're going to see those footballs out there being used so those players can get used to it. Yeah, that that will be the ball used in the, uh, in the first training camp in December for sure. Now, the 2001 XFL ball was 
immensely popular among fans. It wasn't so popular amongst players until they until they adjusted it. But do you think the XFL 2020 can top the excitement over the ball that 2001 had? Probably not, just because in 2001, the way they designed it and how the colors were black and red, it was so unique and different from any other what any other league has done with their you know with their basic you know balls. So I, I don't know if they're going to be able to top that. I mean, what the, what they what we saw during the summer was really nice and it was different from what the NFL looks like. But in terms of just uniqueness to the ball. Uh, I thought the XFL in 2001 probably had a little more hype and expectations to it than they do now. But I'm sure this for this league, the XFL, you know, this time around, they're probably not as concerned about how it looks, but they're probably more concerned about the material and how it's, you know, how players, you know, grip it and hold on to it. Because that was the issue, you know, back in two, you know, when it, when the XFL first started was that players, you know, the balls are slipping out of their hands. So they had to make the, those adjustments so that the, the players can hold on to it better. So that's probably the more important thing the XFL is focused on now that they, that, that, that they were back in 2001. There's a good piece on the uh, 2001 XFL ball in the ESPN 30 on 30 documentary. Uh, where they show them what they had to do to the ball to make it uh, more usable. Uh, and they did that some of that at the last minute. And uh, I do know that Tommy Maddox has said that he had trouble with the ball until they made adjustments, is how he put it. Then he had a much better time throwing the ball. He was more comfortable with it. I think this this ball for this time around with the XFL, it seems to me they're designing it for football and not for hype. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the first XFL felt more like just trying to get wrestling fans into football, if you know what wrestling fans wanted to. I, I feel like it was more marketing back then, and now it's really you're trying to appeal to fans that might be, you know, frustrated or angry with how the NFL has been in terms of you know the play or how long they play on the field or the officiating. There's been a lot of frustration with the NFL the past couple of years. And I think the XFL's done a good job of noticing that, and that's why they want their fans to have a say in what happens, whether that be for designs or you know what rules are put in place. So the, I think the I think the XFL's done a better job of having fans included on their decisions that may, that they maybe didn't do as well the first time around. Yeah, of course. You know, in the first XFL, the original fan base of that league were wrestling fans, and it was interesting that. Once the league started and that fan base saw that, well, it's football and not wrestling, they sort of dropped off. And then some football fans came in to uh, fill the gap somewhat. But that's kind of what happened with the original X. That's one of the things that happened is the wrestling fans did not get their wrestling fix. And the football fans, they may have got their football fix, but they most some of them felt the football wasn't all that great. So they were kind of disappointed, too. And that's kind of what happened in the first time around. But as you pointed out, this time they're going for football fans. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the first XFL, what happened was is that they marketed to be like guys are going to, you know, run, run each other over with cars and all this crazy stuff that they were seeing in the commercials. So right. that's why that's why wrestling fans are disappointed. Like, well, wait a minute, in wrestling, they like hit each other with chairs. Why are they not doing it on the field here? So yeah. 
they, they it's it was real football, and I don't think that's what wrestling fans wanted. And this time around, it's real football, and we know it's real football. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today, Anthony, and I know we will be calling on you again in future podcasts because uh, we just love your football insight. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. Really appreciate being on the show. Thank you. People can find you on Twitter at AntMill, A-N-T-M-I-L-L-40. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. Just go ahead and tweet me anytime you want. More than happy to see what fans have to say about the XFL. Always try to interact with as many as I can. All right. Anthony Miller uh, at AntMill40. And also they can find your articles on XFLboard.com. Thanks again to our guests, Anthony Johnson and Anthony Miller. I hope you enjoyed today's interviews. You are welcome to come back next Sunday, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. Mm-hmm.